hey, it's me, that person that you're rooting for in the Olympics. I know that you have only been rooting for me for the past couple of minutes or so, but you are very much invested in me winning my event. Now, what's something you could do while you're cheering me on to help me win? Well, why don't you listen to an episode of this podcast? Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. We're just a week and a half away from the beginning of Pot Tour List. That is our tour of the United States that is kicking off in August. The first show is on August 4th in New York City. That is on a Wednesday. But also, we're less than a month away from a bunch of shows such as Pittsburgh, Columbus, Grand Rapids, and Chicago. There's a bunch of other cities. We're trying to add more of them as well. I will say that for the New York City show, our guest is going to be Jackson Bird. We'll be doing a bracket to determine who is the best character that's a magical creature. So pitting Buckbeak against Crookshanks against Pigwidgeon. It'll be similar to the bracket we did live in Houston to determine the best non-essential character. We'll be doing a couple different brackets along the tour. I'll continue to announce guests and what the shows are as they approach, but I will say that uh, some of your favorite Potterless past guests will be finding their ways on the tours even as I go into the middle of the United States. So if you want to get tickets to these shows, I would love to see you there, and you can get those tickets at potterlesspodcast.com slash live. And speaking of people I would love to see, I would love to see every single person who has supported this show, and I would also like to see the newest members of our team at patreon.com slash potterless who are supporting the show. So shout out to Connor Hardman, Rachel Hunt, Jordan Latham, and John Warwick. Also want to give a shout out to Taylor who upgraded their pledge, and of course I want to give a huge shout out to our producer level patrons. Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemarie, Marie, Elisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Nikki, Kine, Sarah, Marta, Flor, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marike, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peter, Callahan, Bella, Melanie, Rees, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Demi, Michelle, Henrika, Casey, Megan, Jack, Stain, Little, Elaria, Gregory, Cockall, Ribbon, Jack, Serenity, Haley, Sabrina, Jenny, Eileen, Annette, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Tate, Sam, Sam, Adriana, John, Jody, Dunanash, Emma, Il, Sean, Greg, Matthew, Ping, Vinacek, Nani, Emma, Toph, Micah, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never, when they're trying to change the volume on their TV, grab the other remote because, of course, their parents have multiple remotes for the TV and only one does the sound and one does the TV stuff and you've got the TV one and you keep hitting volume up but that doesn't do anything and it's just embarrassing. No, they always grab the right remotes. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to exclusive merchandise like Wizard on shirts and stickers that you can't get anywhere else or monthly live streams or bonus episodes and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 186 of Potterless covering a bunch of Harry Potter video games guest starring Charlie Ward and Hannah Twig, the co-hosts of the Goblet of Wine podcast. Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult. He did not play Harry Potter video games as a kid, but he did as an adult, and now he's talking about them. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined today by the co-hosts of the Goblet of Wine podcasts. It's Hannah and Charlie. How's it going, folks? Hey. Hi. It's going good, thank you. 
It's really weird to be here, to be honest. Yeah, and it was really weird to hear the intro out loud in person. <laughs> well, you are here now. This crossover is long overdue, and we're making it happen for some things that you have informed me that you're very passionate towards, which is the old school Harry Potter video games. So we'll yes. be doing a big recap conversation of all of the different games. There are so many that exist that are very niche and specific. There's obviously the standard ones that go along with each of the books, but then there's a bunch of Lego spin-off ones, not even just the Lego Harry Potter games, which we did specific episodes towards, but there's Lego creator games. There's something called Harry Potter Find Scabbers. There's <laughs> Lego Dimensions games. There's Hogwarts Mystery, the iPhone game. There's Wizards Unite, the Pokemon Go one that nobody likes. There's something called <laughs> Harry Potter Puzzles and Spells that came out in 2020. There's the new game coming out. We're going to mainly focus on the main series of games. But just to give everyone the context of where you two fall into it, what is your histories with these games and playing them? And just for audience members so that they know voices, say hi, I'm underscore before <laughs> you <laughs> at the top. You um, say that. Our own audience have not been able to tell us apart since the inception of this podcast. So, <laughs> But actually, in fact, our own parents can't. So like Hannah before has been editing when she's at her parents and like I've said something and then her mum's been like, oh, that's you. And then it's me. Yeah. So um, um, good luck to your listeners. But hi, I'm Hannah. I'm a Gryffindor. And I'm Charlie. I'm Slytherin. To tell us apart, I'm slightly lower pitched. Hannah is slightly more shrill. Thank you. Thank you. You always turn that into an insult. I do. I really do. <laughs> I feel like our history with the games is weirdly similar because we basically had the same childhood, despite the fact we didn't know each other. We did. Yeah. For me, so we were both seven when the first one came out. And I don't know if I was exactly seven, like maybe I didn't play it the exact year when the first one came out, but I definitely would have been like around that age, like I was a child, um, which is quite frankly, like horrifying. I literally realised earlier when I looked at the date that it came out, 2001, I was like, that's 20 years ago. And then I was like, <laughs> Like, but how can that be 20 years ago? Because I'm only 12. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I'm You're 26. An adult. So yeah, I, I played the first one probably around the time when it came out. And it was quite frankly magical. Um, I have so many like happy childhood memories playing it. And then... I think basically they used to release them like just before Christmas or maybe they didn't and I just, you know, wouldn't get bought them until Christmas. But it was always I would get each new game on Christmas Day and I would then ignore my entire family and get yelled at and get in massive trouble <laughs> because I would refuse to come to dinner, refuse to talk to anyone. I would spend the entire day playing the Harry Potter games. And it was always like Christmas morning that was the most exciting thing for me. I didn't care about anything else. I literally just only cared about playing the latest game. And then it got about halfway through the PC games and then they got really bad and then I stopped playing them. <laughs> yeah, I only have memories of playing the first two. And for me, it was across PC and PlayStation. I remember we had a PlayStation 1 and me and my brother then saved up for a PlayStation 2 and we had some of the games across both because then some family members bought me the PC games. And I'm not that into gaming i love these early games but i'm a wimpy gamer like i got scared of everything i got scared of the big dragons on spyro they're kind of terrifying yeah when i was talking to my mum about this she was like oh you would always get me in to fight the spiders or whatever on <laughs> harry potter like i was so scared of all the things i mean they are scary but we watched some of the games back and you played some of the games yeah. back in prep for this and they are kind of scary they're like, it is legit kind of scary yeah i feel like we had like kind of the opposite thing because in my household for some bizarre reason we weren't allowed gaming consoles growing up I think we had like a Wii for a period of like two months and then my dad was like no I don't like it but what we were allowed was like PC gaming don't ask me how it was different especially <laughs> because my dad in true classic 
irresponsible dad fashion used to like make me watch games with him because I had better eyesight so I would you know like see stuff and he used to make me play like Half-Life which I don't know if you've played that Mm -hmm. but it's horrifying yeah it's a creepy creepy game I would have literally been a child and he used to make me like watch it so that you know if he was about to get attacked by something I could be like oh dad you're about to get attacked well he made you his little rally car driver co-pilot where you had to point out things that were ahead yeah it's a cute bonding I know and he did the same with like Lara Croft as well so I was allowed to watch him play these like adult games but for some reason I wasn't allowed a PlayStation (laughs) don't ask that parenting logic but yeah so I kind of only ever played like the PC games and then I think later on like I've played some of the Lego ones as well but because I literally was not allowed a games console (laughs) and now I'm a massive gamer and I have like every console so it's like yeah screw you dad (laughs) amazing amazing so I think it's funny that you mentioned the games being terrifying because I had never played them as a kid I never played them at my friend's house and stuff but a listener sent me a PlayStation 1 copy of the Chamber of Secrets game so I played that in prep for this and then I watched YouTube videos of all the other games and the <laughs> what's funny is you mentioned the spiders and the monsters being scary. I think the true nightmare feel is the people. Yeah. Especially no. <laughs> the PlayStation 1 people. Yo, it is terrifying to see some of the faces. And yeah. the funny thing is it's the levels of characters that they put effort into. So Harry looks okay for 2001. Mm-hmm. Some of the characters that only appear once, like Hagrid or Draco, look like nightmare fuel. They're horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Hagrid, I know, is so bad that it's a meme, so yes. much so that there is a Potter Hill sister who got a wizard on tattoo with Hagrid from PlayStation 1 above it. Oh Just my God. peak <laughs> meme. Oh, that's my so God. good. We do have in our Discord for our podcast a bunch of our emojis are just like the little like cutouts of the terrifying characters. Like, We've got Dumbledore, we've got Hagrid, we've got Snape, which I think is put like as like Snep. The thing that I found like most terrifying out for all of it when I was kind of like watching back and replaying them was the opening to Chamber of Secrets in the first like cut screen it does, so not even the gameplay. Dobby appears and honest to God, it was so scary. It set off my fight or flight. I was like, <laughs> I have to get out of here. And that wasn't even supposed to be scary. It was literally to Dobby. I have no memory whether gaming in general had graphics that bad back in 2001, but the Harry Potter game <laughs> are like a level of bad that is beautiful. It's like it makes them beautiful. Right. And I think mine was especially bad because the one that I have is Chamber of Secrets PlayStation 1, which was at the point when PlayStation 2 and Xbox and GameCube were already out and all of the effort went to there where really they just kind of took the PS1 game and then said, sure, I guess we'll make it again. And you can tell like no effort was put in. And what's scary about the people is that it's inconsistent where they do the thing. And this is an old PlayStation games where you kind of just take a picture of someone and then you turn it into a polygon. You just kind of wrap it around a 3D image. Yeah. And it's scary because Ron's face looks okay, but other faces like Ginny looks terrifying. Some heads are really big some heads are really small it looked like everyone just kind of did it on the first pass and then just said okay let's move on to the next character and they didn't look at all the characters at the same time and try to have some sort of consistent imaging throughout but i think we should get into the actual games themselves so what's really interesting about the first two games they did release when the movies were coming out so this was the beginning of the craze in the 2000s of a movie is coming out a video game has to come out to go with it naturally and this started with Sorcerer's Stone slash Philosopher's Stone. But what was very interesting about the Sorcerer's Stone release is that they were all made by EA, except for I think the Mac version was made by a company called Asper, which I've never heard of. 
But all of the developers across each of the platforms was completely different. So at least for the first two games, the PC version versus the PlayStation version versus the Game Boy Color version versus the Game Boy Advance version versus later on when they eventually, two years later, made GameCube, PS2, and Xbox versions are all just completely different games. They all have the same title, but none of the games are the same. So it's ridiculous. They're not the same, but I feel like the developers were given a handbook by someone at Warner Brothers because there are weird similarities between them because I get really confused. Do you mean that they just follow the plot? (laughs) No, like there's weird similarities like the bean thing. Like there's no need for both games to make their main thing that you have to collect in your main form of currency, Bertie Bots, every flavour of beans, but both do. So like clearly they've been given some direction, which is why my memories, because I used to play the PC and the PS version of number one, are like so bizarre and number two i remember i texted you i had just started watching the pc version of number two and then i was like where's the bit where they're at the burrow and they throw gnomes over the wall that's just in the playstation version Mm. Uh uh-huh and it was very fun you do hammer throw gnomes as (laughs) if you are in the olympics it's ridiculous and just as a note in that game the weasley level takes forever yes and it's enormous yeah <laughs> see this is really weird for me is the phrase mandela effect when loads of people remember something that yes, didn't happen because I, so. I remember that but i've never played the playstation one and you also thought it was the pc but it's not in the pc one yeah that's but that's really weird that i have such vivid maybe you mem- played it at someone else's house i might have done yeah i might have done but yeah that's kind of weird so i don't have experience with the pc version but at least according to very reputable website wikipedia.org <laughs> it says that the PC versions were more puzzle game than the other ones were more of your platformer sandbox type games. Yeah. What kind of puzzles would you have to do? So basically what they kind of were, definitely the first two was, it was kind of impressively open world. Like I'm not sure what actually qualifies like a game as open world, but I feel like they were very close to open world, which given that they were in like 2001 and 2002, the first two games, is so impressive to me. Especially given that it's literally like Hogwarts and admittedly it was a small Hogwarts, but you could kind of like run around it. you have the grounds as well. And that's what gave me yeah. my love of open world gaming because like you were just free to run around in between the like set events. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I really love the first two because I love gaming. I am so bad at gaming. You have no <laughs> idea. Like all of my favorite games are open world games. Like the game that made me absolutely love gaming as an adult was Skyrim. And I love like Zelda Breath of the Wild. Like anything basically open world, I am all about that. And I think that these games are part of that, but also because I'm just so bad at gaming that if I have to pass a level, I hate a game because I can't pass levels. But the way the way the PC ones work is you have all this open world stuff, but you have characters coming up to you reminding you, you need to go to this lesson. And when you go to that lesson, you learn a spell. And then once you've learned how to do the spell, which involves passing something like, and it's normally like drawing a shape. Yeah, you have to like copy the shape, which, oh my God, when you're doing it with like a computer mouse is so difficult. It's impossible. It's absolutely (laughs) impossible. And then you have to go into the challenge room for that spell. And what it normally involves is getting the star and using the spell in loads of different ways to like get through essentially an obstacle course. And every obstacle course has death drops and lava 
or like some sort of abyss. And like we make jokes constantly about how Hogwarts yes. is a death trap. The games take it to a whole nother level. I had this exact note because it's essentially supposed to be that the teacher has set this level so that you have to prove that you know the spell by completing this challenge. But all of the challenges are literally like moving platforms and you will drop to your death. And like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it's very in character for like canon Harry Potter. Like absolutely the teachers would do this. But I'm just like, this is such bad teaching. Like, <laughs> you know, forgive me for taking a PC game way too seriously, but oh my God. <laughs> And then there's always at least one flying challenge and you basically move through those challenges until you get to the end challenge and that is normally set around whatever the final thing in the book was. So like the end challenge in Chamber of Secrets is fighting the basilisk. So I don't know how much that differs from the PS games. What do you think in terms of having played through the Chamber of Secrets PS one? Yeah, I think with the PlayStation games, it was a little bit like that where you still have the open world aspect to it in that it doesn't force you to do stuff. And sometimes it was confusing for me. Like I was doing very early stuff in Chamber of Secrets and you finally get to Hogwarts. But then you have to find Hermione to get the password to get into the Gryffindor common room. And I was trying to find Hermione and it was taking me a million years. And then I accidentally went through a secret bookcase that twisted around. And then I was in like a bonus level inside the Gryffindor tower. And I was doing all of this stuff. And granted, this is before I've done the first level at Hogwarts. And I'm already in a secret room and the paintings are talking to me. And I just felt very out of place, though I did collect all of my beans and all of the things <laughs> I needed to get in the wizard cards, the chocolate frog cards, which are the other level of currency. But I think the main difference between what you're describing and what I was playing, there's still some of those challenge and puzzle type aspects, but I think it's a bit more railroaded, not so much so like some of these later games have you do, but I think there's a bit more direction. There's more of the story going on and there's more times where you kind of don't really have a say over what you get to do. Yeah. Because a character, usually Ron, first <laughs> off, I want to say shout out to the voice acting because the voice acting is actually legitimately good across the whole game. And Ron has to do so much work because he's basically always there. And Harry kind of turns into the classic PlayStation video game character that doesn't talk like a Crash Bandicoot or a Jack from Jack and Daxter where all the other people kind of talk for you. Ron constantly tells you stuff to do. And then the game kind of forces you to just do it, and then you have to do whatever the challenge is. But I do appreciate that when Ron tells you stuff to do, they drop all facade of it trying to be not a video game. They don't try to warrant any sort of explanation for why you're doing what you're doing. Ron just straight up says things such as, press the X button to do this. As, you know, There's no sort of beating around the bush. Ron knows you're in a video game, yeah. and he just directly addresses you as such. A note on the voice acting. I made notes on this, and like at first I thought some some of the characters they'd actually got the actors in. I really thought they got Rupert Grant for Ron. Yeah, which I thought might be legit because, you know, they're kids. That's not people who are like going to get all up themselves yeah. about doing a video game. And most of them are good, apart from Hermione, who like for some reason had a bit of a North London accent. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's really weird. Like, I was just like, oh, okay. I wanted to ask you about the accents because specifically with Chamber of Secrets PlayStation 1, when Harry says flippendo, which is another interesting thing in these games <laughs> that they invent a bunch of spells. Let's get into flippendo. <laughs> he does sound, and I don't know what part of London this would be a part of, but it's the, the British accent where he doesn't really say the D, but you know he's there. Oh, it's yeah. very much like, it sounds almost cockneyish where he's like, flippendo, like he doesn't <laughs> yes. say the D at all. And 
it just doesn't sound like any sort of Harry Potter that I've ever heard of where Harry's like, ah, you know, like it doesn't, Harry doesn't seem like the guy to talk that way. Yeah. And the most common spell you do in the PlayStation game is Flipendo. And it is the same thing all the time. I know in the PlayStation 2 game, they have multiple audio tracks of him saying Flipendo. But in the PS1 game, he has one audio unit for Flipendo and you have to use it all the time. So you hear a lot of Flipendo. <laughs> I would call that like an Americanized Cockney where it's like Cockney people don't sound like that. But it's like if you ask an American to do a Cockney accent. If you watch Mary Poppins. But occasionally you do meet people who still have that like really Cockney accent. And it's always really funny when you do come across them. You're like, oh, you actually do have that kind of Cockney accent. But it's also a bit of an Essex thing to drop your D's and your T's. Like, yeah, mm -hmm, definitely. Okay. I think for the most part, the voice acting is pretty solid. The spells were a little annoying. The things that get repeated a lot become annoying, especially in the PlayStation 1 where there's only one track for each thing. And like, this is where I think they were clearly given some sort of like handbook to all the different developers because why do all the games have flipendo when it is not a book spell? And it's also like this catch-all spell. It seems to do everything, (laughs) which is weird because there are other spells in the books they could have pulled from, but instead they pulled Flipendo and gave it to all the developers. Yeah, but on the note of voice acting... Does your game have a weird amount of grunting in it? No. <laughs> oh my so, god, like a grunt. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Mine doesn't have too much grunting. I did interview James and Oliver Phelps for an old episode of Potterless, and they said that they did voice acting for one of the later games, and they did have to record lots of grunts. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that that found its way into some of the other games. The PlayStation games, there wasn't that much of it, though Harry does grunt every time he falls. Yeah. And if you fall from too high of a height, you take fall damage. But even when you land from a regular jump, Harry kind of does a little grunt. And I was very concerned that I was losing health for all of these. And until I had to just stare at the health bar and do a not big jump and realize it didn't go down, even though he still does make a sound like he's in pain. Oh, I love that you did a not big jump because me in games, I would just find that like, if I want to test if there's full damage, I literally will find a mountain and yeet myself off it. I'm just like, I don't care what happens. Like, <laughs> Yeah, my big question was, am I really hurting Harry every time I jump off of something? <laughs> yeah. When I was uh, watching, because I played through the first PC game in prep for this, and then for the second one, I didn't have time, so I watched a walkthrough. But I watched it in like two times speed, the same time, because it's like a six hour long game. And because with the grunting, obviously sped up, it literally meant that there was like a grunt every like split second. It was intense. Like, God knows what my housemates thought that I was listening to. (laughs) That's fantastic. So yeah, I found the game to be fine. I'm sure by PlayStation 1 standards, if I was a kid, I would have loved it, especially if I was a Harry Potter kid. But as far as being a grown man playing the game, I wasn't having a blast. It was just a lot of people telling you to do this thing, and then you just kind of have to do this thing, and then getting a lot of Birdie Bots beans along the way. Yeah. I don't know. It was fine. It wasn't terrible, but... I think the fact that most of these games get 7 out of 10 scores until you get into the later ones makes sense. It's fine, it's fun, but I wasn't ear-to-ear smiling while I was playing this game. What I will say, when I played through the first PC game, I played it and I was kind of like enjoying it in a very like nostalgic way. I will say like one of the things that the PC games did incredibly was music. The music is really good, yes. Oh, so good. It's just as nostalgic as like the early film music. Like they did it absolutely incredibly. So I enjoyed it in a way that it was nostalgic, but I did play it kind of thinking, I remember this being better in that I remember there kind of being more layers to it. And then when I watched the walkthrough of the second game, I was like, I'm remembering the second game because the second game, I do think for the era, obviously this was 2002, 
into was an absolutely incredible game of there being so many different layers and you could really like explore Hogwarts and there were so many like hidden passageways and like things that you could uncover and there was the the bean room bonus bean room <laughs> um, which was the most exciting thing as a child which was essentially like if you win uh, the if you get the most house points for the week one person from the house aka always Harry, always Harry Gryffindor gets to go into the bonus bean room which is basically like this mini game where you run around collecting as many beans as possible and as a child that was like honestly the most exciting thing in the world yeah because like beans were the in-game currency and you could buy all of this like cool stuff, which I mean, I don't feel like you ever actually then got to really use the stuff. You just kind of bought nope. it. Nope, you but just bought it. It was genuinely like for the time, like such a good game in terms of like exploration. Because obviously now they're working on this new open world Harry Potter game. And I know that it's not, but honestly, if they said we're just going to remake the second PC game... <laughs> As a nowadays version, better graphics, maybe a bit more in-depth, like, storyline and, like, more to do. I would be happy with that. I would be so honestly thrilled. Because <laughs> that was a great game for the era. But obviously the graphics are terrifying. Yeah. My understanding of the second game is that it was a big improvement from the first one because they just kind of took the base world that was established in the first game and then added more stuff and added more spells and improved a lot of things. But because I was playing the PS1 version, I think I was playing the one that got the least love. So it was kind of just a redux of the first one. And then you kind of just go, but I, yeah, it was still fine. I think you just kind of lose some of the magic because you don't really feel like a wizard. You feel like someone who has been given tasks to complete and magic is one way to do it. I will say there are some ridiculous things that I had to do early in the game, including dueling a washing machine what? in the Weasley's backyard. <laughs> oh my God, I remember <laughs> that. Why would they yeah. use a washing machine? They're wizards. Mm -hmm. And then you also had to catch a bunch of pipes that the ghoul in the attic was throwing. Basically, the Weasley levels were very strange and very long where the Weasley's yard is so big, they are not poor in the PlayStation 1 version of Chamber of Secrets. They own so much land because you just have to do level after level after level in the Weasley's backyard fighting Arthur's junk, which is just <laughs> demon lawnmowers and demon washing machines that you have to duel. So it was uh, it was an interesting experience until I got to Hogwarts and then it got a bit more standard. So kind of giving some notes about the other versions of the game, according to very reputable website, wikipedia.org, apparently the Game Boy Color version is more of a role-playing game like Pokemon or Final Fantasy, oh. which I think is very interesting. I guess one of those top-down, move-around interact with people, have conversations, do tasks. There are spells for combat, obviously. And in the Game Boy Advance version, that is completely different from the Game Boy Color version. It's just straight up a puzzle game from top down. So I think it's very interesting that they're completely different games and the Game Boy Color decided, let's just make Harry Potter Pokemon. Yeah, yeah that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like at the beginning, like the books were quite short and there's not loads of plot in them, but the world was so new and amazing that all the different developers are just like, we can do what we want. Like, it's this new world that we mm. can do anything with. You can do a puzzle game. You can do a Hogwarts exploring game. You can do this. You can yeah. do this. And I think that's really great as well because when you had those films that would get made games out of at the time, which was like hugely prolific. And they all did such a half ass job, to be honest. Right. They really did. Like there are so many like games from that era that were films and they're just quite frankly terrible. And I'm sure that some of the Harry Potter games were, but the PC games honestly like held up individually as games. I really do love that. I think they got less imaginative as they went on because oh, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of skipping around in the games, but I did once when it came out play half an hour 
of Deathly Hallows Part 1 on our console. It probably was Wii because you could actually like do the spells. <laughs> and it was just the film. It was just the yeah. plot of the film and you doing things. Whereas those early ones, because there was less plot, had more creativity to go off and do whatever in the world. Yeah, but this is what they did with the PC ones. I think it was probably around the third book, but I could be wrong. They just made it like completely leveled. So you just had a menu and then you would have to click like level one and then you would go and do that level and then go back and like level two. And and I hated that as a child because I was absolutely useless at gaming, <laughs> still am. I couldn't pass any of the levels. So I think I got to about like level three in it. And then I just got infinitely stuck and to this day have not progressed in the game. Oh no. And it completely ruined it versus like the open world going around and exploring and it's just like that's what captures a child's imagination like getting to wander around Hogwarts discovering the secrets why on earth would you then turn it into a level game yeah yeah it's disappointing I do know from one to two they started getting a bit more plot focused but not as much as the later ones go and there are some parts of the game where they would take elements from the book that aren't necessarily in the movie so it was nice there another addition going from one to two is that they had a different narrator and then Stephen Fry narrated the narrator bits in the second game. I was playing it and there's interspersed parts where you play and then they kind of go through the story to take you to the next part. And the first time that happened, I was like, Stephen Fry did the PlayStation 1 version? Wow, like, (laughs) that's huge. He also did the PC one of Chamber of Secrets. That's Stephen Fry again. Wild. I completely didn't clock that because I listened to it in two times speed. <laughs> <laughs> just lost all meaning of what Stephen Fry oh sounds like. That's so cool though, because as we know, he's just the better audiobook voice. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just said that to really anger your American audience. Yeah, we're just <laughs> trying to wind them up. No, I'm a big Stephen Fry fan for the audiobook. I okay, always say good. that I think Jim Dale is the better performer, but I think Stephen Fry is the better narrator and it's a more enjoyable experience. I don't care if you can do a million voices. I just want someone to read the book to me. And that's what Stephen Fry does. And he seems like a chill dude as well. So... I'm pro Stephen Fry in this household. Great. He does. Like, I don't mind Jim Dale. If anything, what offends me about the audiobooks, the American ones, is the music. That mm. they do, like, the little jingles. And I'm like, especially because I use the audiobooks to fall asleep and there is nothing worse than you're, like, almost there and then some, like, jingle starts and Ooh. you're like, what is happening? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Audio abruptly changing. I'm well-versed in that. Hey, everyone, it's me, Editing Mike. How's it going? Since we're already on the subject, this was the perfect time for me to jump in and let you all know that we're going to take a little bit of a break for Wingardium at Ridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Knowable. Let's say hypothetically that you are playing a Harry Potter game and you are trying to avoid the repetitive sounds of Harry saying flipendo over and over again. So you're turning off the audio, but you want to listen to something and you want to be productive while you listen to something. What could you do? You could listen to audio programs from Knowable. Knowable is a new app where the world's top experts teach new skills in bite-sized audio courses. They are short like a podcast, they are expert-led like an audiobook, and they are 100% ad-free. Some examples of these courses are NASA Commander Scott Kelly teaching lessons learned from a career in space and NBA star Chris Paul discussing the performance benefits of a plant-based lifestyle. If you were watching the playoffs these past couple of weeks, you would really see how dominant Chris Paul was. Maybe he's got something he could teach you. He's quite old in terms of basketball standards and he is still balling. I like listening to different audio while I do some mindless things, whether it's chores or grocery shopping or going for a walk or whatever. And to turn that from just listening to music into something productive where I can learn things and better myself, I like that opportunity. I like having educational things presented in an entertaining and fun way. And that is what Noble does, and it could be something that could help you learn about something you're interested in, or something you didn't even know you're interested in yet. So if you're ready to learn something new today, download the Noble app 
or visit knowable.fyi, that's K-N-O-W-A-B-L-E dot F-Y-I, and use the code POTTERLESS for an additional 20% off. Again, download the Knowable app or go to knowable.fyi, and when you use the code POTTERLESS, you will get an additional 20% off. So check that out and learn something productive while you are playing the PS1 Harry Potter games today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the market marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is slash Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's a real club.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild collection card off of $40 packs in a more transparent way. That's a real sports nerd slash Pokemon nerd. For all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. So moving on throughout the rest of the games in the series, we will be going less in depth because they are not as good, but there's still <laughs> funny things to discuss in all of them. First, in the Prisoner of Azkaban game, Harry is narrated by a guy named Tom Attenborough. And yes, that Attenborough, he's no, the grandson no. of Richard Attenborough and the great nephew of David Attenborough. That, no. Yes. I both love and I hate that. <laughs> I love that because cool. I hate that because like nepotism man mm-hmm. it's, you don't mm-hmm. know he could be a great voice actor I, no, I'm sure that he is but it's still nepotism <laughs> <laughs> that's a really fun fact I like that yeah the other thing that I noted from the third game is that there are three different versions of the game again across the different consoles and platforms the games are not the same so the Game Boy Advance version was another role playing game it's similar to the Game Boy Color versions for the first two and the PlayStation 2 slash GameCube slash Xbox version is a more action-adventure platform game similar to the first two, but less free-roaming sandbox and more do a thing, follow whatever is ahead of you, just kind of make your way through the levels. And the PC version also took a similar approach where it became less puzzly and more action-y, but it was still a completely different game from the PS2 console version. 
according to Wikipedia, the Game Boy Advance version is really close to the story, and the PC version is not that close to the story. I don't know exactly how those differences manifest, but I do find it funny that one was like really true to the book, and the other one was like, ah, we don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know why you'd make that choice, like to have to go to the extra work to invent a plot. Especially once you get into the third book, because that's when the books get a little bit longer. So why would you feel the need to add extra things? There's so much to go. You're probably cutting a bunch of stuff out. Like they had to cut a bunch of stuff out to make the movie. Why are you inventing new things when the books already exist? Yeah. You I, just know someone in that office was really bored. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> I can do this better. <laughs> I'll rewrite Harry Potter we myself. Know, you got to know that that was a man. Of and course. he's like, I know that this female author has sold millions and millions of books, but like, I can do it better. <laughs> Time for Kevin to take a stand and write his chapter. <laughs> What's also fun about the third game is that this is the era when that level of console all had their little gimmicks. So there were mini games in the PlayStation 2 version that you could use the iToy, the little camera that you could plug into your PS2? Oh my god. Oh my god, you've just unlocked like, Yeah. <laughs> I toys. I, I know. The, they're like those. memories just hit me in such an Wasn't intense way. Wasn't there a game way. where you put your arms out and did like that and caught things in the air? I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love Ooh. when you do gestures on an audio format. I always do this. I just like to gesture. Wow. Okay, now I want to go play that with the iToy. Yes. <laughs> right, right. And then also the GameCube version had a connection cable you could hook up your Game Boy Advance to and then play some mini games. So you could plug your Game Boy Advance into your GameCube and play specific mini games with it instead of your controller. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I suppose there are still so many consoles, but I feel like there were so many more back then because it was like an exploding new technology. Yeah, and they all did try and like distinguish themselves a bit more, whereas yeah. nowadays they're like, we're all going to do the same thing and then Nintendo's there like, lol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much it's how it's shaking out. So... Going on to Goblet of Fire, this is where they really decided, oh, it's just the movies now. I have played, I'm not sure which version of this, but I've played a little bit of it. For some reason, Neil, my partner, still has this and we played it in the summer in between uni and getting a job because we have nothing to do. <laughs> and for some reason, we tried to play this game and it was crap. It oh, was no. so bad. It was just like being, you couldn't walk around Hogwarts. You were just forced to places and told to play something and then the next thing. And it was so disappointing compared to the early games. Like, I don't know how they made a decision to get that much worse. That's the biggest knock on this game in particular is that they went so hard into making it into just the movie. And I think that when this movie came out, this was peak make a game, make a movie that's exactly the same type of situation. So I think that's why they did it. Mm. But this is when they changed the cover art just to have a picture of not even animated or drawn stuff, just straight up Daniel Radcliffe on the cover. And then they changed all of the characters to look exactly like the movie counterparts, because even as those first three games came out, the movies were going on, but the characters still just looked like vague Harry Potter people based on descriptions slash illustrations. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, yeah, that's totally Rupert Grint, etc. Yeah. Yeah. But this game, they decided it's the movie now. Yeah. It's weird how, like, when there's a book adapted into a film, I'm like, 
just make the book. But when there's a game made out of anything, I'm like, you've got to put a spin on it. You've got to do something. You can't just like have the plot and then you hit a few buttons every few minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I always enjoyed Spider-Man games that weren't tied into the movie because they have more fun with it and they change things up and you get to play around with the canon a little bit. Oh, Osborne is the mayor now in the PlayStation 4 game and you get to do little things that change it along the way, which makes it fun and unique as opposed to just like you're saying playing through a movie that you saw with worse graphics and you get to click some buttons from time to time. And I feel like why they tried to do that was because they were now trying to capture that audience of people who watch the Harry Potter films without reading the books because that was a really emerging audience now the films were taking off. Whereas before, like the first ones, the Harry Potter films were for the book readers and that's why they were more book loyal in the films. And now they're just trying to capitalise off that success of the films. Like... They just did go downhill. So the fourth one got mixed reviews. And then the fifth one, what's interesting, maybe because they were sensing some backlash on the games, J.K. Rowling stepped in and actually did a lot of direction towards how the games should be. Oh. And the fifth game is one of the worst rated games, which <laughs> makes me very happy. <laughs> is there just like loads of just like really unnecessary transphobic bits in it? <laughs> no, but there are really unnecessary complications to the game. It's very much the Fantastic Beasts thing that she ran into with the second movie where she tried to do everything and there Uh, were a lot of features but they weren't fleshed out very well. So here is what was said about the game. So it returned to the format of the first three where it was a bit more sandbox, free roaming, you could go around. There were discovery points that the player got rewarded that you got for doing side missions or exploring around the castle. So they were really trying to push not just doing the main levels since that was the big complaint with the fourth game. But there were a bunch of things added by J.K. Rowling. So there were wizarding games such as Gobstones and Exploding Snap, which were created by the developers and later confirmed by J.K. Rowling as obeying the official rules for those games. So she made them follow some sort of rules where those are never explained in the book. But of course, J.K. Rowling has an answer. Of course she does. They followed her explicit rules that they had to do. And one of the developers of the game, when talking about J.K. Rowling's involvement in it, said, quote, she has put her foot down when needed. Roberts and the team came up with a mission in the game that would have Harry's classmate Neville Longbottom sabotaging a clock tower to get back at Hogwarts professor Dolores Umbridge. We got this feedback from her saying, I really like the mission, but I don't think Neville would do that. I think it would be Dean Thomas. He's much more likely to do it. And then they switched the mission to Dean. Now, I don't really think Dean is that mischievous of a student. No. Am I reading too much into it to think that J.K. Rowling said, no, the white kid can't mess with it. It's got to be the black kid messing with it. I might be. But also, like, I get that it's not Neville. But for her to definitively be like, it's got to be Dean feels strange. I feel like it would be shameless. Exactly. Exactly. I completely agree. That's absolutely absolutely wild and like it really annoys me because I hate when people try and get involved especially in like other industries that they just don't understand. Do you mean when J.K. Rowling tried to write a film rather than a book and it was <laughs> yes. And yes, you know, like me and Hannah, we both work in social media, which is one of those classic jobs where everyone's like, I have Instagram, so I I know how to do it. Oh, yeah. And now you're podcasters, which everyone also thinks everyone can do. Oh, I can talk. (laughs) You just hit record and upload. You don't spend 10 hours a week editing Potterless episodes. (laughs) Don't. Please talk about editing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, we're very, very used to in work situations, people with no experience or understanding that barely know how to log into Instagram coming and telling us how we should be doing our job. 
jobs. And I kind of get this vibe of like JK Rowling here. And that's probably what she did with the game developers, because yes, you can build a narrative. And I'm sure that she did have some kind of use in terms of like that narrative. But that doesn't mean that you can build a narrative for a game. Like I follow some like incredible women on TikTok that work in like games development, because it's an area that I find really, really interesting. And one of them particularly was very, very active in this kind of era. She used to like kind of direct and like produce games and very much this kind of when, you know, all films were getting their own games, la-di-da. I'm not sure she ever did work on an actual Harry Potter game, but kind of very much that same crowd and what goes into it and she talks about what goes into it and it's absolutely fascinating and it's definitely a skill so then the idea of like jk rowling coming along and just being like i know better it's just like no stay in your lane you're you're good at books you can write a narrative for a book but don't assume because you can do one thing that you can just jump into something from another industry because it's so not true anyway ran over (laughs) yes no thank you perfect i mean that was the problem with the game is people said there was too much going on and then going into the sixth game they had so much there that they just kind of upgraded all of the stuff that was already there. So it got better reviews, but people said that it was a bit repetitive in that you kind of end up doing the same things over and over and over again. And from what I watch on YouTube, that makes sense. There wasn't a lot of variety in the levels and people said that the game was fine. It was just kind of forgettable. And some people complained that it feels like one of the complaints people give to sports games where from year to year, they just tweak a couple of things here and there, but you still have to pay for a full new game. So one of the knocks on the sixth game was, it feels just like the fifth game improved. I don't like that I had to spend $50 on this because it feels like you just fixed your bad game from before. So still positive reviews, but not as good as the early ones. I also feel like in general, and I I mean, I would like to play the new Harry Potter game when it comes out, hopefully, I feel like there is so much creativity that can go into a game about wizards and magic. And instead they were just like, we have to follow the films because the films are what's popular. And like you could do so many unique new things with spells and potions and creatures and all of this stuff. And it said like, what if we just followed the plot beats from the film? And Mm. it's just a lack of creativity because it turned much more about making money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I did love the early PC ones is that they actually just, yeah, they followed the plot, but they did their own thing with it. Mm -hmm. They didn't even like copy the spells exactly. They actually had that level of creativity where they adapted, okay, we need some spells, but we need them to work for the game. So you had, you know, Scourgeify and Flipendo and like things (laughs) that actually worked within a game. And And then they just gave up with that. One question that I did want to ask you that you just reminded me when you brought up sport games as we know you are just the biggest fan of quidditch you just absolutely love it (laughs) what did you think of quidditch in the games was it a big part of the game you played oh yeah there wasn't much quidditch in the playstation one game i know quidditch is more in some of the other games but i did play the quidditch specific game that they made and that will be the cherry on top of this episode is the last game we will discuss is harry potter quidditch world cup oh okay which i didn't hate (laughs) Little little teaser for something we're going to talk about in 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. (laughs) Oh, exciting. I'm very excited. Yeah. I will say that in the PC games, Quidditch is essentially flying on a broom and beating the shit out of Draco Malfoy. Oh, <laughs> like, incredible. Like, in the second one, you just have to, like, fly alongside and, like, repeatedly kick him. And once again, I watched this in two times speed, and it was honestly assault. <laughs> it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like, I implore you to go and watch it and put on two times speed. It was so funny. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Especially with the graphics. 
So up until this point, the seventh game is about to come out. Everyone's complaint with the game is like, just like you were saying, it kind of follows the plot, but not really. And you just never feel the magic that a wizarding based video game should have. You just kind of feel like you're going through the motions. Yeah. So the game developers decided to switch things up for the seventh game, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One, which came out in 2010 and very 2010 of them. They just turned it into Uncharted. (laughs) They just made it a third person shooter game. And everyone hated it. So this Wait, is the a one shooter I, game. Yeah, this yes. is the one I played half an hour of, and I played it on the Wii, so that you are literally using your wand to shoot, and it was <laughs> a shooter game. And I remember it being a thing on the Wii because you could play multiple players. So I was playing Hermione, and my boyfriend at the time was playing Harry. Of course, but it was just a shooter game with a Wii controller. Mm-hmm. That's so brutal. Yeah, and so unimaginative. Right, it's just a lot of you fighting off vague Death Eaters, a lot of whom look exactly the same, repeating character models. And you can do a couple different spells. It's one of those things where you're kind of like the gadgets in the Spider-Man game. You can pick what you have and switch between them quickly using the triggers and stuff. But you basically just either shield with a shield charm and then just shoot vague spell, just pew, 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 with your wand like you're playing Star Wars Battlefront, where you're just shooting lasers at someone, and then you hide behind cover and you can shoot over cover and everything. It really just turned it into an action third-person shooter game, and the justification by the developers was, we're adapting the game to our now more mature audiences. No, and no. also, like, what was popular in 2010, and everybody just hated it. So much so that I just want to read the review section from Wikipedia verbatim, because it is so funny. Oh my god, I'm excited. (laughs) Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 received generally negative reviews from critics. GameSpot awarded the game 5 out of 10 and said, quote, while the third-person shooter aspect of Harry's latest adventure can be fun, the game's story elements failed to live up to those of its literary namesake. IGN gave the PS3 and Wii versions of the game an even lower score of 2 and the Xbox 360 version a 2.5, citing various gameplay issues as well as the storyline being loosely related to the film and novel. Official Nintendo Magazine awarded the Wii version of the game 60% and called it an engaging attempt to apparate eh, Harry into action gaming, but also a flawed one. <laughs> Game Informer awarded it 5.5 out of 10 and said, quote, like a Quidditch player falling from a broomstick mid-match, this installment loses all forward momentum and goes dark film tie-in, and an ambitious one at that, but don't expect anything more. The Guardian gave the game a score of two stars out of five and said that, quote, when you play Deathly Hallows Part 1, you get the feeling that everyone involved with the franchise will be secretly relieved when the whole juggernaut finally grinds to a permanent halt. The escapist also gave it two stars out of five and said, if you want to stare at the back of Harry's head while he shouts stupefy 40 times a minute, this is the game for you. If not, then you'd better look elsewhere. That is the most savage thing I've ever heard. I love every (laughs) second of that. And also the thing is, games at this point in time are costing like 50 quid as well. So like, it's just, oh, that's unimaginative. I really love as well, because this obviously was when the last book was out. And I really love that some game developer somewhere read through this series where the entire crux of it is that love is key and that the greatest power you can have is not any kind of other power. It is love. And was like, you know what this translates into? A shooting game. Mm-hmm. It's such a misreading of fans. Harry Potter fans don't love Harry Potter because of the non-existent action scenes. They, I will... they love it because of the soppy stuff. I will say, if you're going to split the game in half the same way you're splitting the film in half, then you have no time in Hogwarts. It's all just camping. So what are you going to do with a game which isn't set at Hogwarts? Like, genuine question. What could the developers oh, have done? No, no, no. You... I think making it more puzzly, because even when you play a game like Uncharted, you have shooting levels, 
vehicle levels and puzzle levels. If it was mainly just the puzzle levels where you're trying to figure out where the horcruxes might be and stuff like that, oh, I think yeah. that could be really fun. Or you could have done it like a survival game like Valheim, um, which is, um, I don't know if you played it, but it's basically like a survival game all around like Viking mythology. Ooh. And it's very much you kind of like start and you have to literally get all the stuff to build a base, essentially. So like you're camping oh. and then you have to defeat like various bosses and you kind of collect more and more and it's literally... You have to, you know, go farm and craft and mine and stuff. And obviously that doesn't fully translate, but you could have done a very similar thing of them camping, having to gather resources. And oh, then each yeah. of the Horcruxes could have then been, you know, essentially a boss battle. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been really fun. Yeah. But they didn't. No, but they didn't. They should have hired us, clearly. <laughs> clearly. So for the final game, they tried to adjust to the fact that making it a full-fledged action shooter game wasn't the right move. So they tried to rein it in. But now they've tried to rein it in for a film which is entirely a battle film. You've now got to a <laughs> film which is all battle, exactly. nothing else. It would have made so much more sense. So they tried to rein it in and make it less shootery and have more of some of the elements from the earlier games, but it really didn't go well and it seemed like it was kind of mailed in. And the best way to summarize people's feelings on this game and what I was feeling when I watched some playthroughs of it, Games Radar said, quote, this is the absolute nadir of the series. Harry Potter has finally devolved into a total cash-in, and we cannot score it low enough. <laughs> Incredible. I mean... Absolutely wow. brutal. Who's surprised, really? Oh, uh, they've fallen so far from that PS1 Hagrid face. Mm -hmm, I know. Mm -hmm. I know. They should have stuck with it. They should have upgraded every other graphic in the game and just kept Hagrid the same. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the only other game that I really wanted to devote a lot of time to here specifically was Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup, which came out in 2003 and wasn't bad. So this came out after Film 4? Let's see. Because if it's about the Quidditch World Cup, then that's post-Film 4 if they're following the films. Sorry, I'm asking the tough questions. <laughs> so Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie, came out in 2004. So this would have been in between movies two and three. Oh. It wasn't really movie tie-in heavy at all. I think that's what made the game fun. Basically, you start off as a Hogwarts student and you pick what house you're in. And then you go through tutorial levels. It actually is set up in a way where it teaches you the game really well because you just start off just kind of learning the mechanics of the game, especially if you don't know all of the rules of Quidditch, which I don't need to go into detail about how terrible they are. But <laughs> you go through these different house challenges, eventually working your way to play the Hogwarts Interhouse Quidditch Cup. And then you make your way through that. And when you become the Quidditch champion, then you can go on to the World Cup. And then instead of being one of the Hogwarts houses, you pick one of the countries to play as. And some of the maps of these different teams are really cool. Some of the countries you can play as are England, the US, Japan, Germany, France, Australia, the Nordic team, Spain, and Bulgaria. The Nordic team? <laughs> it is specifically called the Nordic team. When you play as the other ones, it lists the country, but the Nordic team is the Nordic team. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Which is who I always played as when I was playing. But... <laughs> There are some really cool arenas, and from a gameplay perspective, my only disappointment is that it is kind of simple. It's one of those sporting games where 
you kind of just steer and hit the same button a lot because I believe, I don't know if they're separate buttons or on defense, there's one button to try to steal the quaffle away from the opponents. And there's no real repercussions. It's not like there's fouls if you hit it too much, like if you're playing a basketball game or a soccer game and you get fouls for trying to hit the steal button too often. So when you're on defense, you basically just fly wherever the quaffle is and rapidly tap the steal button to where you finally take it. And then on offense, it's kind of the same where you want to build up your combo meter and stuff by doing lots of passes. And once you pass it a lot, then you can do cooler shots by holding down the different trigger buttons and, and hitting the shoot button. And the harder shots are harder for the defense to block. And then eventually when you work up your combo level, you can then try to get the snitch. And based on the moves that you've done, your seeker gets a head start against the other seeker. Mm. And then once the snitch is out, it switches to where you and the opponent seeker are flying. And it's actually pretty cool where there is kind of like a beam trajectory that you need to follow. And if you stay within the beam, you go faster. And if you fall out of the beam, you go slower. So it's just a flying type game of trying to stay within it. And then eventually you get close enough to the snitch and you catch it. So as far as the mechanics, it's pretty fun and it's a pretty solid game. And I'm sad that they didn't make more than one because honestly, it feels like one of those sporting games where if they made a sequel to it, they would have had all of the skeleton for the game. And then it's just improving some of the minor complaints that I had. And then you have a really good game, but they only made the one. And I'm frankly very surprised because it seems like this would have been super popular in 2003. It also sounds like the kind of thing we were talking about of actually using the world building of Harry Potter and mm -hmm. like the creativity they have the opportunity to use to build something unique and cool rather than just following the films. Like it sounds like a really good idea. Right. And it's funny that you mentioned that because this video game is the only non-text rendition besides when they did the illustrated versions of the books later on of Ludo Bagman. Oh. They make a terrifying 3D polygon Ludo Bagman that I have used in all of my live shows for stuff. But yeah, Ludo Bagman's in the game and he's like a major player. No, because oh. I've, I've seen this because me and Neil, Hannah's partner, had a massive debate at one point about like casting Ludo Bagman. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I was trying to see whether he was ever depicted in anything. So I Googled him and then immediately regretted it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty terrifying. I do feel like the ideal casting would be Nathan Fillion because I feel like taking the Captain Hammer approach to Ludo Bagman is perfect. Yeah. Guy who seems like he's great and personable and talkative and has suave hair and then and you learn, oh, Sky might actually not be a very nice human. Who did yeah. you settle on um, in the end? I, I can't remember. And, you know, I would agree with Nathan Fillion if he wasn't American. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All good. They've got to be British. Yes, right. I don't know the British equivalent. So... I can't remember at the top of my head everyone that we said. We even put a poll out on Twitter at one point. The one person that I can remember, but that would have to be drastically aged down um, versus how old he actually was when the films were recorded recorded, filmed, <laughs> was actually a young Stephen Fry. Yeah. Ooh. Because, I mean, he's clearly like going to be like a posh kind of ex-private school. And then it's got to be like, you know, sporty when he was younger, but then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of is now let in politics and let himself bit. go a little bit. And I'm like, if you got Stephen Fry around the right age, I could actually see it 100%. I could see that. And maybe this is because I'm too obsessed with Taskmaster. I feel like Greg Davies could work too, just because he's so <gasps> oh my big. God. He could play <laughs> lovable, but also 
dick. Oh my like, God. he can do both. Our latest episode, or, or one episode ago, we went on a 10-minute <laughs> tangent about Taskmaster. We did. I am obsessed with that show. It's, oh, it's so perfect good. television. Best. Perfect yeah. television. It's so good, but on, Greg Davis, Greg Davis is such a good shout. Honestly, shout. I'm oh going to have God. to text Neil about that because that is spot on. Absolutely great. Amazing. So, yeah, as far as this game, it's pretty fun. I got to say, I was playing against my wife's brother, my brother-in-law. It still feels weird to say that. I feel like I'm 95 <laughs> years old when I say I have a brother-in-law, but I was playing against my brother-in-law. He's younger, so it also feels weird. But he played that game a lot growing up, and I didn't. So he was beating me, but I was still like holding on. But it did just kind of feel like for both of us, we're both pretty good at sports games. Like we'll play FIFA and NBA 2K against each other. If you're competent enough at a sports game, you're good enough at the steer near the other person and just tap the steal button a lot aspect of it. So I felt like most of the game was, I have the quaffle. No, I have the quaffle. No, I have the quaffle. No, I have the quaffle. And like that got a little frustrating initially. But aside from that, it just felt like a really well-made game. And it speaks to what the three of us have been saying, which it feels like since this was so explicitly not following a story, they got to actually put effort into gameplay and mechanics and trying to think logically what would make a good video game. And I think as cheesy as some of the stuff surrounding the game is, it's a good game. And I would certainly replay that, no question at all. Whereas if someone said, do you want to play one of these other games, even when they started to add multiplayer stuff in later games, I wouldn't want to do it. But I will play Quidditch World Cup and I fucking hate Quidditch. And I'll still <laughs> play it. It was It's a pretty good game. I will say this is the biggest plot twist that you enjoyed the Quidditch game. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm loving I know. this. I like sports video games a lot and I don't care even if I have no attachment to the sport. I remember one time in high school playing a rugby video game and I did not know the rules of rugby at all. I eventually grew to love rugby. Nobody knows the rules of rugby. Nobody knows the rules of rugby. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Ireland and New Zealand do and then everyone else is just pretending <laughs> to know the rules. Yeah. I feel like everyone who watches rugby is pretending to know the rules. You go to a pub and people will just shout and I'm like, yes. And I watch quite a bit of rugby and I'm shouting. I'm like, oh. I don't know the rules. I don't know what's happening. I don't pretend I'm very open about the fact that I'm there to drink and look at hot men. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. a perfectly reasonable way to do it. And I will say, I may have said this on the podcast, but I went to a rugby match live in France. I went with one of my coworkers and she was obsessed with the team. She knew everything about rugby and I knew absolutely nothing. So she was instructing me on all of the different rules as much as she could. And what I didn't realize is that rugby players and rugby fans are the most courteous fans ever. Yes. The players are really nice and they don't do any dirty hits, even though they are absolutely mauling each other. It's still somehow less violent than football, American football. And you never disrespect or yell or swear at the ref. If oh. you do, you're immediately off the pitch. Whoa. So football, you're allowed to like shout at the ref, or soccer, you're allowed to <laughs> shout at the ref, do whatever. Rugby, you do not disrespect the referee. And you don't even yell at the other team because no. we were rooting for the French team. I want to say they were something 92 or 82. There was like something like Paris Cotrevandus because they do their <laughs> weird thing where counting is by like multiplying 20 a lot. And the other team missed whatever the rugby equivalent of an extra point is. So touchdown in American football, try in rugby. They do a kick after for some more points. And the other team missed it. And I started laughing going like, ha! <laughs> and my friend just 
just elbowed me really hard in the side. And I was like, what? They missed. She goes, you do not disrespect the other team. And I was like, but they're the other team. <laughs> I was so out of place. Oh, I mean, you know, having just had the Euros and seeing how England and England fans reacted to... It's not coming home. Um, didn't it come oh, home. I didn't come home. Can't, can't it didn't come home. <laughs> I wish the football fans were a lot more like rugby, rugby fans. fans in that respect because <laughs> yes. big yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what better note to end this episode on than <laughs> big yikes, but also me liking Quidditch? Question mark. So... <laughs> Hannah and Charlie, thank you so much for joining, lending your PC gaming expertise and history with these games. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, your podcast, all that, where where can they do so? Yeah, so we are on all major podcasting listening places, Spotify, platforms. platforms, platforms the that's the word. For. Consoles where you listen to your podcasts. <laughs> as Goblet of Wine Podcast, you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as at Goblet of Wine Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter as Goblet of Wine Pod because podcast was too long. And if you want to hear more of us with Mike, then there will be an episode either coming out or already out. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Who knows? We're scheduling. But with Mike, where we talk about a chapter in Order of the Phoenix, which we're about to record next and is going to be really, really exciting. So yeah, have a listen to that if you want to hear more of the three of us chatting. Right. And specifically because of the nature of your podcast, I will be consuming alcohol. So I get to be a little more loosey-goosey than I already normally am with hot takes. So. (laughs) going to be a good time but thank you two so much for joining listeners thanks for listening and as they say in the wizarding world of harry potter before they run in terror looking at polygon faces of different characters wizard Wizard on on. i wanted to say i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) you're both allowed to say there's no rules about who can and cannot say wizard on Hey, 4th of July is over, and that can only mean one thing. The next holiday that gets decorations is Halloween. If you want to be prepped for Halloween, you should listen to Multitude Spirits podcast. Spirits is a history and comedy podcast focused on everything folklore, mythology, and the occult, told through the lens of feminism, queerness, and modern adulthood. Each week, mythology buff Julia and her childhood best friend Amanda get together to learn about a different story from mythology and folklore over drinks. The topics range from the mythological origins of Lord of the Rings to modern urban legend stories. You can start listening to any of the over 250 episodes that they've released over the past five years, and you can do so at spiritspodcast.com, or you can search for Spirits wherever you download your podcast. Pottery List was created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert usually, but today's episode was edited by Sherry Guo. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfeliu, Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor Kerlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Nikki Harris, Kine, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morris, and Flora Sake, Skyla Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov Chova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Mariah Kariga, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Kevin Stewart, Jarl Sviven, Peter McGrath, Callahan Andares, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Reese Dignan, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsaker, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie Dreyf, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Boney Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mango Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kiedis, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexander, 
Sandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Jack Skitzes, Dane Nemcher, Little One, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, Call Call Mother Feathers, Ribbon Monstrosity, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmidt, Carries Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Joe Sander, Michael Peavy, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reby, Adriana Hernandez, John Savio, Jody, Dunna Morphine, Nash Sanadiki, Emma L. Oscar Thomason, Sean Kirkoba, Greg Bonastali, Matthew J. Moreland, Ping Vinacek Nani, Emma Kui, Toff Beifong, Micah Alma Cloward, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campamanes. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash Potterless, twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash Potterless. Merch lives at PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. And tickets to our tour of live shows coming up in August and September lives at PotterlessPodcast.com slash live. If you think of someone that might enjoy this podcast, why don't you tell them about it? Reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast called Potterless. I think you would really like it. Or if you want to help the show grow, you could talk about it on social media or leave us a rating interview online. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, wizard on!